ready for the interview And if you get a cue live on the laptop Watch what I'm gonna do Welcome to the show Let them know we got a point of view Hey, yo, let's have a combo Say what you feel, be real That's the motto Real talk, pronto Doctor D, PhD, hit the intro Hold up, wait Gotta be social Network global A home for the locals Gotta be social Network global A home for the locals Well, 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 back again, Dr. D's social network. This time, Patrick Huey. What's up, man? Dr. Darian, <laughs> how are you? I'm fantastic. And by the way, thank you for having me on your podcast. I really appreciate it. You ask great questions, by the way. I, well, I had a great subject, so it was oh, pretty. Thank you. But no, it was, it was great having you on. I actually went back and I've already edited it. Um, and you had some really good advice actually this weekend my my sister her husband their family they were in town in boston and my nephew her son plays for the denver broncos and so we had a pretty in-depth conversation about the three percent who really love what they do <laughs> in professional sports which we talked about on my podcast wow that is so amazing i mean real yeah. life application somebody who's in the nfl yeah. Deal. I mean, yeah. You, you know, everybody, you're gonna listen to it. It's gonna be out. You're gonna. It's gonna be good. I'm telling you, man. <laughs> yeah, you were great. You were great. Thank you. So listen, like as I said, I forgot on here. This is all about Patrick. Here, this is your <laughs> life. This is my education about you, and you know, all the other listeners, too. So, Patrick, we met a long time ago, but we didn't really meet meet like we yes. have recently. And yes. this was kind of under the circumstances of leisure, hospitality. So tell me a little bit about how you got into hospitality. Why this is something that has been important for you in your life? You know, I got into it by mistake, I would say. It was oh. 19, yeah, was, I think it was 1993, 19, yeah, 93. I had just moved to New York to pursue my dream of being an actor. And I got a job working at a hotel to help me pay my bills. I was studying at a, a conservatory in Manhattan. And my parents had graciously agreed to pay for me to do that, but I had to, to pay my rent, and, but I had to pay for everything else, like my, my fun spending money. So I got a job working at a hotel as a bellman. Little did I know that 30 years later, I would still be in the hospitality industry. And, I, and so the, I, I worked at that hotel for that hotel company for, five, I want to say five years Yeah. Um, before I went off and got my master's degree at Yale. Um, when I finished my master's degree at Yale, I moved to Los Angeles and got another job working in a hotel. And that was in 2001. And ever since then, I've worked in, in hospitality in hotels. Yeah. You know, Patrick's being very like humble here. Patrick's a big deal in our business. Everybody knows that. In fact, I was, I was talking to my business partner the other day, Alan Jakubowskis. He's like, oh, you're talking to Patrick? Oh, everybody knows Patrick. Like everyone. <laughs> I was like, really? <laughs> I mean, that, that's what longevity gives you. That's right. But I've, had, I've had some great jobs. You know, I worked in my time. I worked for, um, I'd say my first really big spa job was with the Four Seasons. Yeah. In Westlake Village. And then I worked for the Four Seasons in Las Vegas, which was a whole thing. Mm. Um, 
I just stayed I, there actually not too long ago. Yeah, it's a beautiful hotel. Yeah. But you know, the, the life in Vegas is interesting. It's 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 a very unique existence. I mean, you're literally <laughs> in a desert. Yeah. Um, <laughs> like this is not none of this is supposed to be here. No. Uh, but thanks to the Hoover Dam, it is. But yeah, I, I worked for four seasons. I've worked for um a company called Viceroy Hotels. I worked overseas for Sandals Resorts International, which was an amazing company, amazing uh, job to have. Then I worked in Asia for a little while, back in the U.S. with a, a company called Montage International. And, and so I've had some great opportunities. I've been very blessed in that regard. You know, it's interesting that you started as a bellman. Yep. What was that like? I mean, New York City, a bellman. I think we get this iconic image of the bellman in New York City and different TV shows, but break it down. Like, what was it like actually? Well, we were unique bellmen because, and they could never do this now, but we were all essentially cast. I was, I was working for a company called Ian Schrager Hotels. I was working at the Royalton Hotel, mm -hmm. which at that point was the premier hotel in New York. It really, really was. And it was, it was the first boutique luxury hotel that had a very strong fashion entertainment vibe to it. Ian Schrager is really was first known for, for starting Studio 54. So he had perfected the idea of the velvet rope in the nightclub um, club scene in New York. And then when he went into hospitality, he took that same mentality to hotels. And so I was like the tall, lighter skinned black guy. We had a a white guy who was um, Irish with black hair, blue eyes. We had the blonde haired guy. We had the dark skinned black guy. Mm. We had the guy who had long brown and we were all cast to look a certain way. But the job itself, I, I sometimes say it was the best job that I had and I never realized it because the job was literally to carry bags. <laughs> mm. But yeah, we had so much fun and we were all such good friends, this group of guys. I mean, we were all super young. I mean, we were all... 21 to 25, I mean, super young, but you get to see the interior of people's lives as a bellman because you're, you sort of, you're sort of invisible in a way when you're with them because you're carrying their bags. Um, but it's a great job. I make great money. I mean, I made amazing money doing I bet. it. And it was kind of, a, it was kind of like a premium job. I mean, it, 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 people wanted those jobs in New York at the time. And I'm sure they still do. Yeah. Um, but I liked being a bellman. I was good at it. Um, <laughs> you got a great personality. I'm sure you, have, you, have to, you, know? <laughs> you got to have personality. You got to know the city. You got to, you got to be able to read people. You got to know mm -hmm. who you're dealing with. Um, and th that hotel was fun because at the time, you know, every major celebrity, musician, writer, publisher, editor in the, in the world, because New York is the capital of all of that. A lot of that would come through that hotel either staying there or for lunch in the restaurant. Um, so I would, you know, Anna Wintour, Tina Brown, Cy Newhouse, Maya Angelou, Diana Ross, uh, Stephen Dorff, Robert Downey Jr., yeah. Robert Streisand, all these people came through. So you're sort of seeing these really amazingly talented people up close and personal. Yeah, I would imagine so. Okay, I'm gonna put you on the spot. What's the best story about that time in your life being a bellman and the worst story? Oh, geez. <laughs> are you going to edit this? I mean, it doesn't. I don't think it needs to be edited. <laughs> <laughs> I 
People want the, the real Patrick. <laughs> okay, I would tell you one of the best moments I had as a bellman was showing Robert Streisand was shooting the movie The Mirror Has Two Faces, I think was the nice. name of the movie. And she was scouting locations for the movie. The, and it was going to be, I, I don't remember the, the character she played in that movie, but it was going to be that character's home. She was scouting, she was scouting those locations. And so when I got to work that day, they were like, listen, Robert Streisand's coming in. When she comes in, can you take her up to the penthouse and show her the two penthouses? She's scouting this movie. Um, and just, you know, show her the, the penthouses. Now, in most worlds, that would be remarkable because it's Robert Streisand. But when you were in this hotel, it was cool, but it wasn't like, oh my gosh, it's Robert Streisand because yeah. we saw cele celebrities all the time. So the time came and went for her to come in. So I thought, well, it's not happening. So I had been standing by the door to greet her for a couple of hours and she wasn't coming in. And I, and I happened to, to walk away and I'm standing. Now, if you've ever been to the Royalton, this is long hallway from the door that leads to the check-in desk of the hotel and then further down that leads to the restaurant. And so I'm standing at the desk talking to the receptionist and I look down the hallway so I can see the door open. And it's probably a good 50, 60 feet from where I'm standing. And in she walks, she's so tiny. She's probably, if she's five, five, I'm giving her a couple of inches <laughs> and she was draped head to toe in white Donna Karen, which at that time, that's all she was wearing. And so I took her up in the elevator. It was a she, there was no security, no security. There was no advanced person. It was just Barbara Streisand and probably one of her producers um, or the location scout person. And the three of us rode up in the elevator to the penthouse and she talked about how cold the building was, which people always said that about the Royalton. Then I walked and showed her both penthouses um and that was it she left but that's probably that's probably the, the most interesting i mean the, the things that i can talk about sure I the, know. be careful the, be careful I, mean. I can't talk about stuff i can't talk about yeah but <laughs> i don't i don't want to mess up people's reputations of course um, of course i would say the worst oh no names <laughs> no, I, mean, I didn't have a ton of worst experiences okay. there. i have to tell you i really didn't um was probably we used to duke it out sometimes the guys and I because mm. we were like you know how it is when you're 21 and 22 sure, it's just sure. like it's and it's energy yeah. it's we're like you know and we would sometimes go in the bellman's closet it's not a it's not a bad one but we were like yeah we fight we punch yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, sometimes you have to do that yeah yeah, um, yeah I'll tell you another great another great time was when I was so my, my second job at this hotel was I was the maitre d' of the restaurant, which was a very interesting job yeah. because if that that was before that was before Condé Nast had moved down to the world to the world trade. At that point, they were still in Midtown, and we were the restaurant that everybody went to in the publishing world, modeling world for um, breakfast and lunch. And so I'm standing there one night, actually at dinner, and again, it's this very long hallway at the Royalton. So you can see the doors open and it's kind of very dramatic because it's, it's like the people are backlit coming down this long walkway. Um, and literally I'm standing at the DS, the podium, whatever it's called. And I look up and this tall woman, I'm 6'3", so I'm tall. She was taller than I was. Whoa. And I see her coming 
and I instantly know who it is because, uh, you know, it's Maya Angelou. Crazy. And she shows up in this red African headpiece, in this red, like bright red African type of dress. And she's probably in four or five inch heels. Whoa. And she's already tall. And she literally, as she's walking, as she's walking down the runway, she's literally like, you could see every head in the lobby turn and watch her walk up this runway to me. And she comes to the podium where I'm standing. She takes my hand and her hands are as big as my hands. <laughs> she's a giant woman in every, and not in, in every positive sense of yeah. that word. She's yeah. a giant personality. And I said, Miss Angela, we're so happy to have you here tonight. She said, I'm so happy that you are here tonight. Ooh. And I believed her when she said that. And I could <laughs> feel the warmth radiating from her hands through my hands. Wow. Um, okay, I have another story. You edit some of this out. I'll give some. No, um, no, this so. is all going in the thing. There's no editing, man. You just let it so, rip, man. That's what we do. <laughs> I'll tell you. So, you know, people have all of these sort of ideas about who people are and aren't when they're famous. Yes. Um, and I'll tell you, Tina Brown at this point was the editor of the New York Magazine, I think, mm -hmm. or was it the New Yorker? I don't remember now. But she always had a very specific table she would sit at for breakfast. And she, she only came really for breakfast. She would sometimes come for lunch, but her main thing was breakfast. And she was always guaranteed the premium table okay. in the restaurant. Um, and I would tell you a little secret. When I worked at this job, and I'm sure it's still the same in New York, there are lists. And so because we were in the fashion publishing world, we had every magazine's masthead, we had every magazine's publishing page, and we knew when people changed jobs, and when they changed jobs, and when they didn't change jobs or got promoted or demoted, their seating order changed mm, yeah. in the restaurant. Yeah. yeah. And so Tina at that time was, I, 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 forget, I forget whether it was the New Yorker or New York Magazine, somebody will tell us, but she was one of the top editors in town. And this was before... So this is the 90s. So there was no like cable news and stuff like yeah. that. So she was really publishing, publishing, publishing. And she came in. And so I'm standing at the thing and we would do like, it was like Tetris. We would do what I would do with the hostesses, seating charts about and like contingencies in case people showed up or didn't show up. Right. And we would actually call people sometimes and say, listen, we don't have a table for you today. So you, you may want to make a different choice. Or we'd call their assistants and tell them that. But anyway, I'm standing at the, the podium <laughs> and I look, the door opens. And I look up and I see Tina walking down the blue long runway. And I'm like, oh shit. I don't can I curse on this shit. Yeah, yeah. Say whatever you want. I was like, yeah. I was like, oh shit, I don't have a booth open. And Tina's coming in. And I, I get on the phone with her assistant. Like literally, time stopped. I'm, I'm calling her assistant, who was this amazing black woman. And I remember her name, but I was like, Jesse, did yeah. Tina have reservations for today? She's like, I think she did. I'm like, I'll handle it. So she walks up to the thing and I'm like sweating bullets because it's seating <laughs> in a restaurant in New York. It's a big deal where you sit. That's right. And I was like, Miss Brown, I'm so sorry. I don't have you. I don't have your booth available today. And she literally says to me, Patrick, you can sit me anywhere. And I was like, what a lesson. Yeah. And graciousness lesson. and kindness. Because 
it doesn't matter to me where she sits. <laughs> I don't care. But we've we've built this thing. It just it just shows how we attach to things that are really unimportant. That's right. And so I really, it made me have a lot of respect for her, I have to say, because I was like, well, she could have been a real jerk about it. Yeah. She's like, I don't care. Like, put me anywhere. Yeah. Um, that's wonderful. I mean, that's really yeah. awesome. But like, it makes me think of like, all this time you spent in hospitality. Mm -hmm. What have you learned? The, like, what are the overarching themes you've learned about people? that you've served and what are the overarching themes you've learned about yourself during that time? Ooh, no one's ever asked me that question mm. ever. So what I've learned about people, people have the same needs, no matter how rich they are, yes. <laughs> no matter how not rich they are. Um, People have the same needs. They all they all want to be seen. They want to be heard. They want to have their needs met. They want to feel good about themselves. Um, most people, I, I I could probably count on my hands and toes the number of really bad experiences I've had in hospitality with people. Most people don't misbehave. Yeah. Most people want to be heard. Want to be seen. Want to be. It's all that human stuff that we talk about is consistent, no matter how rich or famous they are. You know, I was working at, funnily enough, I was working for the Viceroy and at one of our resorts at that time, a friend of mine who we were bellmen together in New York, a guy named Bart, ended up marrying um, Juliana Moore, the actress. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I saw them on the list of people coming to the resort. So I said, oh, when they get here, just let me know. I want to go say hi to Bart. Because again, we were all Bellman together in New York at the Royals. And he was writing his movie at the time called, I think it was called Inventing the Abbots. was his first mm. big movie. Um, he was writing that movie at the time. So years later, we met up. The first thing he says to me is, wow, you, you really did something with, your, <laughs> with our hospitality experience, which made me laugh. Then he introduced me to Juliana, who was the most gracious, kind person. And, 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 none of, and all of that celebrity that's around people, that's not real. And right. that's something I've because I've worked in so many places where I interact with people who are really famous, is that it's really given me a bird's eye view of what that celebrity is. Yeah. And it's not real. It's okay. not you know, it's I not know. Real. I've worked in really high end private clubs and stuff. And, and you meet a lot of people like that. And honestly, they just want somebody to talk to hang out chat. And that whole veil just disappears. It disappears. And every time they come in, you're like, what's the big deal here? Like, <laughs> like, I don't get it. Because you're just so human with them. You know, like, we're just people. Yeah. And they're not, you know, I, you know, I guess if you, yeah. There's uh, people all have the same wants and needs. Yeah. And, you know, yeah, but being, being that close to celebrity has always been a little funny. Yeah. Because you just, you just see, it's, it's literally like you have the person and then you have the celebrity thing that they pretend to do. And then when <laughs> they step out of that, they're just real people. Yeah. Um, which is interesting. I mean, that's, it's kind of cliche now because we, we feel like we have access because of social media. Um, but back then in the nineties, we didn't because those things right. didn't exist. There was no internet. So 
these people were really removed from us. Um, so I've learned that. Um, what have I learned about myself? Well, I think I've learned... It's a hard question. I know, right? <laughs> These are hard questions. I feel like I I'm going to watch this back and be like, oh, those were bad answers. It's just authentic, um, though. It's the struggle of answering something very deep, man. You know. What have I learned about myself? Well, I've learned, and it's, it's kind of taken me 30 years to learn it, um, that I really like what I do. Yeah. I enjoy it. I enjoy I enjoy it. It feels very familiar to me because I've done it for so long and I didn't realize how long I've done it until recently. I was like, wow, I've been doing this for a very long time. Yeah. Um, and also that, you know, that you can be really good at things that you never thought you could be really good at. Mm. And that you have to like allow yourself to surprise yourself. Ah. Um, What's a good example of this? Well, I mean, you know, that I was, that, you know, for 12 years of my career, I traveled the world three times, like three times around the entire globe. Yeah. And like growing up as a little kid in Texas, that wasn't even on my radar. I didn't even know what, what hospitality was. I mean, I didn't grow up poor by any stretch of the imagination, but a vacation for us was hopping in the car and driving 200 miles to my grandmother's house. And if we got really adventurous, we'd drive to my extended family's home <laughs> in Mobile, Alabama. Yeah. So there was no flying first class. There was no staying in hotels, let alone five-star world-class hotels. But that's where my life took me. And it's, you know, and you have to, you know, you have to be open to all those really surprising, fun things that you don't really yeah. know. You even, sometimes, you, know, you know, oftentimes, and you know, you have to think about this when you're dealing with people in general, it's a lack of exposure. They don't even know what's out there. People don't even know what to dream. And so that's why when you, when you expose people to things, you're really giving them an opportunity to dream bigger, bigger ideas of who and what they can do and be, right? Yeah. So. I love that. I love that. So what would Patrick now tell Patrick back then? Give that person advice. What would you tell? If you weren't back in a time machine and you magically saw yourself, this, you know, 25-year-old Patrick, hey, this is me in the future. Here's what I have to tell you. What would you say? Um, <laughs> save your money. Um, no. <laughs> <laughs> I think I would say, and I don't mean this, I don't mean this in any kind of Walt Disney way, but... I would say follow your dreams. Yeah. And you know, life brings you to life will bring you to different places when you make different choices. Um, and so for a long time, you know, recently I started playing music again. I started writing again, writing again. That was must have an accent, writing again. <laughs> um doing a podcast, so engaging that part of myself. And that's where I feel like when I'm doing all of that is when I really feel like I'm in my dharma, where I feel like I'm, I'm really doing what I'm supposed to be doing. And so I walked away from that for a long time for many reasons, but I would say to myself, then don't let your dreams go, mm. follow your dreams. And it's, it's, you know, and I would say time isn't on your side. We don't have forever. 
So what you want to do, do. Yes. Yeah. Because <laughs> um, it's not, it's not, and I would say, learn to be a little more gracious mm. and grateful. You know? Yeah. For the 25, no one's really gracious or grateful. You're just kind of like, <laughs> it's so true. People. It's so true. And you only know that when you get older. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. It's not like all these 25 year olds have all this wisdom. <laughs> like, like, how do you know everything? Because I know nothing. I know. <laughs> I think I've had my 25 year old. So I'm like, wow, it's not a lot going on here. I mean, it's not a lot. Not interesting. I mean, not like, that interesting. No. Fine. And I, I would, you know, I, I wish I had the energy I had when I was 25. I see. I see. Now, you mentioned about like, we had talked about like art, you know, art, acting, art, this whole thing. How did you, how did you fuse that into your career in hospitality? How did you add that element into your work? Well, I think it helped me a lot, actually, because every, everything is about, particularly in, in hospitality and the spa world, is about creating Yeah. something that is probably not even really there hmm. which is this idea of luxury and bespoke experiences those things are concepts they're not real yeah you know and they're highly relative to what it is to other things and so but, but, but one thing that you learn to do as an artist as an actor is you learn to like make concepts three-dimensional learn to make ideas live and you learn a lot, particularly as an actor, because you play different parts, because you embody different people that you may or may not have any kind of fidelity towards or, or, or to, you develop a great deal of empathy for people because that's your job. You have to sort of understand the human experience in order to portray the human experience. And so I think that's helped me a lot in my career is that there's a, a great deal of empathy for people. Um, I also think just as an artist, you have to think critically, you know, good, good artists are great thinkers, mm. you know? And so I think anything that requires you to think critically or to look at something and sort of try to really break it down into its basic components, which again, if you're playing, a, if, if before you can play, Beethoven's fifth, you have to sit down with the piano and figure out the keys and the notes and how you're going to approach it. So you have to break it down into its basic elements before you can put together the entire fifth symphony. Yeah. Um, and I think business a lot of times is you have to businesses you have to break things down to their basic elements so that you can understand what it is that you're doing um and what it is that you're you, you're you're trying to achieve yeah. so i think that helps i think that helped a lot yeah most definitely i mean speaking of business i think this was a conversation we had off air but i thought mm -hmm. you know what we're here with patrick this guy's the master it's great for other people who are going to watch this there's a lot of lessons to be learned in wisdom in all these years of doing this. So what's the current state of, let's say the spa business, where you see it, where it's going and what advice you'd give people 
who are entering the business who aspire to be, let's say, a spa director or just work in like leadership positions in this business? So the state of the union <laughs> is good. Like every other industry, we're, we're seeing a lot of um, staffing shortages. We're seeing demand explode and we don't have enough supply to meet the demand. Um, I think, I think, I think also because people couldn't have treatments, spa services, couldn't go to the gym, couldn't go to their acupuncturist, their chiropractor for two years almost. I think those things that were once maybe seen as a nice to have mm -hmm. became a must have. And I think that's changed the industry. Um, and I think, you know, and I think it's still emerging like a lot of other industries. I think it's still emerging is what it's going to really be ultimately. I think, you know, right now people are willing to pay any amount you want to charge. People will sign up for a treatment four or five weeks out from when they want to have the treatment just to get in. We'll see how long that lasts. I'm not sure how long that will last. Yeah. Um, I think if somebody wants to get into the industry now, I mean, <laughs> it's so funny because it's, I don't, you know, you just got to start. Yeah. And, and you have to, you know, and my big, my biggest note to people is go where the opportunities are. I know everyone, again, it's back to this idea of what your life is supposed to be yes. versus what's happening in front of you. So the way I grew my career is that I went where the jobs were. And so that meant that I traveled a lot. I moved a lot. Um, but you can't, you can't, and, and I don't have kids, so it's different. The minute you have kids in school and soccer and all of that, the 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 the, the deck is reshuffled. I understand, right, of that. course. Um, but I think you have to you have to go where the opportunities are, and it's not. And I promise you, it will not be convenient for you. Of course. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I've had this conversation with so many people that I've interviewed, hired throughout the years. And I said, you know, you're limiting your geography. It's just going to limit your opportunities. You know, yes. you have to be in this particular place. I understand your situation, but like, you're just closing your life huge. Like closing you say you want to do this, but if you're not willing to expand your geography, you're actually going to have a hard time accomplishing what you want to get done in many ways. A very hard time. A very hard time. And I notice and, that with people, you know. Yeah. And you can always change your mind. You and that's the thing is like, no decision is locked in. <laughs> so if, if you don't like it, leave. It's not, it's not complicated. You know, it's got, you know, it's kind of funny is like restaurants. It's like, you could, you don't have to order everything all at once. Like no. if you want more, you could get more. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, you know, it's like, we'll bring you more. We'll bring you more <laughs> if you want it, you know, but it's just interesting. Like you have to be willing to be adventurous too. I would think on some level. You kind of have to, I think that's, I think that's true for any, job or career yeah. i also think and I'll, I'll say to the and this is going to be maybe controversial and i've only come to this recently um and it's kind of what we talked about you don't have to love what you do yeah i agree i think that's that's kind of like a late 20th early 21st century <laughs> why um, do people say that though why why is that such a big thing you think love what you do because I think, I think the other side of that is maybe a little too transactional for people. Mm. And I think we have this myth of 
you know, in, in, in books, they call them the coming of age story where you're all of a sudden you realize who you are and who you love and what you want to be and the end, right? Yeah. And, I, and I don't think that's real. I think, you know, you're, you're I think, I think you got to love people. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if you got to love a job. Yeah. And I don't know. I don't know if you have to love a job. I think that's a nice to have. I don't, I don't know. I don't know if I can, the things that I love are not, are not, I think we're selling ourselves short. Mm. I think we're selling ourselves a, uh, this, because, because what, so do you mean to tell me that all the people who don't love their jobs have failed? No, no, no. Life, life is way more broad and big and complex. And I just, I don't, I think this pressure to have to love your job, I think is just really yeah. tough. Yeah, it's, it's actually kind of somewhat mirrors what we talked about when I was on your show a little bit about that. Not everybody loves doing what they're doing, like, but it's this whole fallacy of that, like, you have to fall in love with your passion and your job and be passionate about it. And it's like, I don't know. I mean, there's a lot of times I love what I'm doing, but then there's some days I don't want to do it at all. Like I just, you know, yeah. it's okay. Like yeah, release, release yourself from that pressure of like <laughs> yeah. I have to love the job every day. Like, every no, day. I don't have to love I have to love <laughs> my job every day. No. You know, I have I really, you know, I happen to really like a lot what I do. And I and I I sometimes feel like, oh, I do love what I do. Um, but love is a very strong emotion. <laughs> you know, Patrick, it's like when somebody says everything's amazing all the time. How could everything be amazing that you come across? Like no, a lot of mediocre not. things, a lot of bad things, some good. I like to save those words for like really penultimate moments. Yeah. Like this has real meaning. Like if I love someone, it's supernatural almost, man. It's like, it's big, wow. you know, it's gotta be that way for me. If not, it's just, you know, it's good. You it's know, good. like it's good. Like I honestly, like you've been in the business for a long time. I've, I've known about you through circles of people whole time. And I was like, man, I got to reach out to this person because there is a lot of wisdom in this human. And I heard so many people say so many great things about you. I'm like, okay, this person is probably deserving of this stature because of their record and the incredible jobs they've done and the work they've done. And, and I take time to evaluate that. I'm just not going to be like, oh, you're the best. But that's what we do. We, we like elevate people immediately into this greatness. Yeah. It takes time yeah. to become great. It takes time. It takes time. And, I, and I have had, and I've never said this out loud, I've had a very complicated relationship to what I do. Yeah. Um, because it wasn't the first thing that I wanted to do. Yeah. And so I've always had a complicated relationship to it. Yeah. And in a way that maybe has helped me because I've, I've always been able to keep a little bit of a distance from it um but i i guess i guess i appreciate you saying that but it's of course you know and, and that's where and that's where this idea of loving everything that you do becomes the myth of it it's the myth. and it's not the reality is that things can be complicated and you know choices can be difficult and and, and love is like love implies a certain type of fidelity and love implies a certain type of um oneness with yeah and i think i think save that for people not for a job 
Yeah. <laughs> that was powerful. Save that for people, not for a job. And jobs are super important and well, careers. Are, are, but you know, if you love your job the most in your life out of anything else, I often think there's something not right about that. Yeah. It's like, because I don't know that the job should supersede the, this incredible bond you could have with another person personally, experiences yeah. and stuff. I just, I love that. <laughs> love people. Maybe some parts of your job. I don't know. There's, I know there's going to be some people like, well, I love my job. I'm like, I know. But like, have you ever thought about what that means though? Like, what are the yeah, consequences what is, what is, what, of that? Yeah. What do you really mean? Yeah. You say that. Yeah. I don't, I don't, you know. You love the money? Is it the money? Is it actual, the daily tedious tasks? You like doing payroll all the time? I mean, you like, oh. I mean, <laughs> what is it? The environment? <laughs> oh my God. I don't know if I even could. Oh, my, payroll. You That's the worst careful. part of it. You better job. be careful, it? Patrick. <laughs> it's Payroll is the hardest thing that you do. And it, it's so challenging. I'm like, woo. <laughs> I hate to see payroll. Like, how do you do it? How do you do it? Yeah. And not going to lie, it was, uh, I like tedious things. I didn't say love. I like tedious things. And payroll was something that I used to really feel like I like this aspect. I know it sounds weird, but I like the tedious nature of doing pay to your payroll. Sounds so crazy. I know. I know that. I know that. Because every manager I would hire didn't want to do it. Like, like yeah, I, I'm, I, haven't, I haven't had to do payroll in years, and it's a good thing because I... <laughs> Well, it's, it's so challenging. I don't know how we got to talk about payroll. I guess all I'm trying to say is <laughs> you can really love life. I just, I just, yeah, I want to, I want to break this myth of you have to love your job. Yeah. We got to break that myth. We got to free people from that. Got to free because people. People, people walk away from probably really great things because they go, well, I'm supposed to love this. Well, no, you're yeah. not. Yeah. That is not a real requirement. Yeah. I totally you gotta love people. You gotta love your life. But it's like, you know, we have to examine why we put so much pressure on that. Yeah. You know, it's a big question. It's almost this big existential question about work in itself. And what does it mean to work? And why work can sometimes dominate our lives and in many well, ways destroy our personal life. Well, I was going to say, and now we're seeing every company is experiencing this. People don't want to work like that. People are like, no way. Like, I'm not giving you 14 hour days anymore. No. I'm not, I'm not showing up here six, seven days a week. And so, you know, people aren't, I mean, that's not going away. And I think, I, I think we're going to be in a real sort of, we were talking about friction points the last time yes. you and I talked, and it's, it's yeah. going to be a real friction point, I think because people have found meaning outside of their jobs and people yes. have found meaning with family, meaning with having time to themselves, meaning with being able to, to do the thing that gave them joy when they were five years old. Yeah. You know, it's funny, you know. it's a weird, you know how life gives you kind of this double-edged sword. On one hand, closing a spa and a gym pandemic is devastating. But on the other hand, people got off the wheel for the first time in a long time. And they said, oh, 
this is what it's like to be at my place and enjoy doing other or going and doing something else. And once you change the wheel for somebody, you just put a wrench in it, all of a sudden they start thinking, they go, wait a minute. I've been on automatic mode this whole time, going to this place over and over, breaking my back. I don't have to do that right now. Maybe there's something more to this life. And yeah. in many ways, that's a good thing on some level, you know? Yeah, and you know, and I, I would say this, I don't think I want to, now we're getting really out there, but I, more than loving my job, I want to enjoy and what, what I do. Yeah. I don't know, I have to love it, but I really want to enjoy doing it. And, and for the most part in my career, I've been very lucky that I've really enjoyed the things that I've done. And to me, that's way more important than, well, do I love this job? I don't know. Again, love is a strong word. Yeah. But I, I, I want to do, I want to do things that I enjoy doing because when you do go to a job or when you do go to work, you're there for at least eight hours, nine hours a day. You better enjoy it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, if you don't enjoy it, that's a problem. Yeah, it's definitely a problem. And, you know, in jobs and different in, in our business, whatever business, sometimes there's just no progress. There's just a day is a day. A day is a day. It doesn't mean that it's like you've accomplished something amazing, like, or this goal was accomplished. Sometimes a day is just a day. I went through it. I made it. Was it the greatest day. It wasn't a terrible day. It was just a day at work. <laughs> sometimes. I had, a, I had a teacher once say to me that extraordinary years are made up of ordinary days. Ooh. And that Ooh. stayed with me. I never heard that. Yeah. Wow. That that's big. That's big. Wow. That's Patrick, I got to tell you, man, I always have no expectations when I, when I do my podcast, I just want to come in and just like, let it be, just let it like, feel it out. This was awesome, man. And seriously. <sighs> This was awesome. Like, you know, it just like, and people need to recognize Patrick and I don't know each other really well. It's not like we have this, I may have known of him for a long time, but I don't know him like that. So it's nice to just continue to get to know you. That's what's you nice. Too. You to too. Build. I feel the Thank same you. way. Yeah. When you build something with someone, that's truly beautiful. Building mm -hmm. over and tilling the yard, you know, it's just, Hey, we're growing this thing, you know? Yes. And you start helping each other and, and you start calling on each other and you start, hey, let's be nice to each other. Let's help each other. That's, help each other. that's, that's the, that is amazing, actually. That's amazing, yeah. <laughs> you know? So thank you, sir, so much for being on my podcast and uh, giving your energy to this time, man. Well, thank you for inviting me. I, I appreciate that so much. All right. Let everybody know about your podcast and how they can connect with you. Oh, it's it's called At the Podium with Patrick Huey, and it's on Spotify, uh, Apple. Um, my website is Patrick Huey Leadership, so you can find it all there. Wonderful. Patrick, thank you so much for your time. I appreciate you, man. Thank you. Thank you so much, Darian.